Recovery Radio, where we discuss substance abuse treatment and recovery. You can listen live at blogtalkradio.com forward slash OCG Radio. Please note that the views and opinions of our hosts and guests are not necessarily the views of OCG, nor is it meant to replace professional advice or the advice of your physician. And now, here's our show, Roach on Recovery, with your host, Orville Roach. Welcome, welcome, folks. We're back. I think we were off one week. We were. For organizational business, this is Roach on Recovery, your host, Orville Roach, along with my producer and co-host, Call Screener, and he's now back interning as the engineer. <laughs> Got my position we'll, back. We will judge after the show if he has earned his full title of engineer back, Chris Morales. Yes, indeed. 646-564-9909 is the number. 646-564-9909 is the number. If you want to call in and speak to us or our guest, if you just want to listen to the show, you can go to the show website, which is blogtalkradio.com forward slash OCG radio. Again, that's blogtalkradio.com forward slash OCG radio. You can also listen to the show via the call in line if that's your only means to do so. Make it happen. So our last show, which was uh, November 3rd, if I'm I'm not mistaken. That is correct. uh, On our recap. So I think somewhere during our recovery support time segment, based on one of the callers, we had made a comment about a previous show we did a long time back about, Uh I think it was last January, January 2015, about feelings. And we stated that uh, we we did a show on feelings, but we didn't connect decision-making with feelings. But after reviewing, going back and reviewing the show, we, in fact, did do that. What we haven't done is connected feelings and decision-making specific to relationships. <laughs> right, okay. The majority of the questions were about relationships, relationships and recovery. That's the only thing that we didn't do. So we'll make sure that we address that in a future show since everyone Stay seems tuned. to want to ask about that. That's right. All of our written and uh, live calls seem to be on relationships. All right, let's go. Oh, yeah.
Seven in a row. Seven in a row. You going to drop first, the how about them Cowboys on us? First of all, <laughs> it is inappropriate for you to start off by mentioning the losing streak. <laughs> all right, all right. Especially when, whenever I suffer a weekend trifecta. Ah, uh, yes, yes. With the New York Jets, the New York football Giants, and the Dallas Cowboys all losing. That's right. But who am I most disappointed with? Oh, man. I mean, I don't know. I don't think you can go Giants because they played the Patriots. It is the Giants who oh, I'm most disappointed I figured that's with. what you were going to do, but come on. That's the Patriots. No, nah, the Giants are the Patriots' antidote. Were. Their defense is not the same. That defensive line is not the same, and it, that's what beat them. Exactly. But in this game, the defensive line pressured the quarterback, made him tap dance like the late, great Gregory Hines. <laughs> sacked them, and they had the interception at the end of the game to they close did. it out and win it. They did. So, I'll leave it at that. They did. Hey, a 54-yard field goal to have to win the game. Your boys showed up and, and gave it a good fight. Yeah, okay. Anyway, what's all this about Blaine, Blaine Blabbermouth? Uh, well, <laughs> more will be revealed next Tuesday after he plays up in Seattle, okay, because I don't want to hear Plays him. against a real defense. Yeah, exactly. So we'll see. We'll see what happens. But he, for what it's worth, uh, it's been a long time since a 49ers fan has seen a quarterback stand tall in the pocket and under three seconds deliver a pass to anybody okay. down the field. So it felt nice. Okay, I think uh, I made it known, and I'll just state it for the public record, that uh, I don't think uh, Pumpernickel should have been benched, but we'll see how Mr. Flabbermouth does. What do you base not benching him on? I don't think it was entirely his fault. I don't think it was entirely his fault, too, but the guy was not performing well at all. Performing below where he should have been performing, missing wide-open receivers. Fair point, fair point, I'm just saying. All right. Well, your boy Romo is supposed to be coming back. Everybody always always wants to back up until the backup faces a good defense. (laughs) Then you're calling for the starter again? There you go. We'll see what happens with Romo this week. All right. We've got a special guest today. He's a teacher, trainer, facilitator, bringing mindfulness, and we'll talk about what that is, to the arena of recovery, which is what we spend our time talking about, recovery. So let's uh, welcome uh, to our show Mr. Odell Johnson. Odell, are you there? I'm here. How are you, boy? Good. Can you hear me okay? We can hear you okay. Great. Sounds like you got an echo. Are you on speak? Are you on speaker? I'm on speaker. I'm actually in the uh, smaller room, so I am. I may be echoing. So let me. Okay. If you don't mind, let me open up this door. Okay. All right. Hold on. Is that better? Yeah, sounds good. Is that better? Producer, producer gives a thumbs up. Yeah, sounds good. Okay. We sound good. Okay. All right, we, we got we got we got some questions to ask you, so we're going to get right to it, sir. Sure, go right ahead. Yeah. So, um, first of all, I guess mainly for our listeners, because I know um, 
we we know you uh, on a little more personal level, having worked with us before. Um, can you tell the audience a little about yourself and your personal journey? Oh, sure. Um, that's, that journey has been a journey of great surprises, great excitement, some pain, some suffering, for all in the advancement of change and transformation. Uh, my, myself, uh, I am a mindfulness instructor and teacher. I'm a doctoral candidate in the field of psychology, social change, and, and also justice. And uh, my journey started out back when I once had a substance use issue uh, some 25 years ago. And uh, I started out kind of wondering, it was such a catastrophe, like what could have possibly happened to me? I had all the right the picture, perfect life. I had the right family, the right mother, the right father, the right support system in my community, was also within my personal environment. And all of a sudden, sudden I made some choices that led me on a path of self-destruction in regards to drug use. And I have been in recovery now for more than 22 years, and I can honestly say, and I'm excited about it to report to you, that uh, it has been a successful one, but it has not been an easy one. And what really came to me in, in my self-discovery and my own personal work was mindfulness. And I found that in the deepest uh, darkness that I was experiencing during recovery, so I, I was doing all the right things in regards to being in the treatment center and practicing the, the 12 steps and listening to my sponsor. But somehow I just didn't seem to get it. There were frequent relapses in the initial stages of my process, and I kept wondering why in the world this was happening to me. I know that. And, but then when I actually started looking at things outside of my process that was actually within me, the power, tapping into the inner power that I failed to realize I had, coming up in a very spiritual environment in church and God in Christ, the, the tendency that, um, that that paradigm offers is that we seek something outside of ourselves to come and save us. We go into prayer and we say, oh, God, please come save me. Oh, God, please give me this and give me that. But actually, we, as our own, in our own individual selves, have the ability to manifest our divine reality from the inside out when we separate from the things that are in the world or the material uh, matter. The mindfulness became something that I was naturally attracted to. I actually was reading a book uh, uh, once uh, during a, an incarceration period. And I was reading a book about how to know God. And this book began to take me places far beyond the box or the, or the paradigm in which I had been accustomed to, trained within, and orientated into as well. So it took, it took me outside the box in my own thinking about healing. And that's what really, really what we're talking about. We're talking about mindfulness of healing. But before we can get to that point that we initiate that healing, that power, or search for that power within, then we have to be silent and be in stillness 
to begin to start listening instead of saying, oh, please, God, save me. Then we got to start listening to the universe or God or whichever supreme deity that you want to refer to to speak right. to you, to your heart. So uh, upon that quest, uh, I began to find some things about find out some things about myself. That truly, um, I began to find things that discover things that have been taken away from the from the uh, the challenges that I had faced in being in that dog world of addiction. I began to reconnect to things I never knew I had, and talent, and creativity, and all those things began to to come up and, and show up. And, and more importantly, my emotional wellness began to, to shift. So I became emotionally well and empowered in that area because oftentimes, and which I didn't realize at the time, like why I was, the question was, why am I getting high? I don't have to do this. Why am I going in this direction? I know I have the tools. I know how to change it and turn it around. But when I began to be in stillness through mindfulness, I began to discover that there was a collective and a truckload of trauma and drama that traveled behind me. All the things that had happened to me, the things that probably fell too quick, began to shape uh, my being or my personality that I just, for some reason, didn't feel that I was worthy of all the things that I felt in a dream of accomplishing. (laughs) To go further back before, the drug use started. I was a politician in Little Rock, Arkansas, in the state of Bill Clinton. So I was kind of like, and it was in that time period. Oh, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Sorry, I got to interrupt you. Did, did you say you were a politician? Yes, I were. I was. Oh. Uh, I was a state representative, uh, representing, so I was in politics. And so I was wow. very visible. Yeah, I was very visible in politics during that time. Wow. And there, and there was are you, can you hear me? Yeah. Speak oh, just come so a little closer visible. to the speaker. Okay. So I was very visible in politics during that time. I was um you know, there was during the time that Marin Barry Marin Barry in Washington DC, the mayor got caught up in his drug use. And it was about the same time that I was getting caught up in mine. <laughs> And but I just wasn't on the same level that he was on uh, in regards to popularity and position. And so I came from a good good place. And but and because of that good place and that foundation that I came from, I believe that it comforted me to be able to 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 further search and discover, you know, ways to heal, alternative outside of what I have been told and learned of how healing takes place. So now I am uh, here, and in my whole life since that discovery, which has been dedicated to bringing healing and well-being to populations that are sick and suffering in the field, in the area of addiction, emotional stress, uh, psychological discord, and, 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 and malfunctions, uh, co-occurring disorders. I have uh, trained in many modalities in mindfulness. Uh, I'm certified in many different uh, mindful practice practices like uh, primordial sound meditation, uh, yoga, seven spiritual laws of yoga, Ayurveda, the science of life, and perfect health. In addition, uh, I have a master's in health and wellness psychology and also 
in transpersonal psychology, which is more of a spiritual approach to, to psychology. And uh, in the next, uh, well, by May, I'm, I'm designated to be uh, finishing my PhD in, in humanistic psychology, and which is very, very interesting. Let me ask you, let me just interrupt and ask you this, because you rattled off a number of things there. Uh, okay. In between there, I know you have uh, founded a couple of community-based organizations. Yes. Um, what was your impetus for starting them, the mission, and, and what, do you, what are you currently doing in terms of uh, – so what's your current organization? Because I, I, I know at one point – um, there was the Center for Multicultural Mind- Mindfulness and Recovery. Right. And and since that, that name has now been changed to uh, I'm Power 360, uh, I wanted to really hone in on the personal development of an individual that's uh, in recovery and entering recovery and, and also okay. prevention. Yeah, so okay. I'm Power is the present, present uh, name of our organization. Uh, and that organization was founded with, by me as well as Midwest Diagnostics and Resource Institute in St. Louis, Missouri, by way of Ferguson, that is. And that organization was strictly uh, initiated to deal with the, actually this is the legal drug use of, of African-American male boys that were being overly medicated because of mis- being misdiagnosed with ADHD and ADD. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, I'm a, I'm a bio, biofeedback therapist, so that's kind of the process of actually, in a non-invasive manner, retraining brainwave activity and frequency through a system called neurobiofeedback. And so I've been always looking and seeing how can I serve? How can I serve in the population, and it's not it's not limited to color; it's limited to cause. And my right. whole call call and agenda is to bring about uh, being a conduit and a guidance for change for anyone that are challenging in any particular area that has to do with do with the spirituality, do with their do with psychology, and just in this life skills in general. All right, I'm an, I'm going to throw a. Uh... A question at you, and I'm going to come from two sides. Okay. I'm going to come. So you you have experience, you know, being in this field of recovery, and so you know there's one type of individual that works in the field. I identify. I call them uh, Neanderthal. So they've been in the field a long time. They're they're stuck in the way things were done, old ways, the, the ways of the past, not open to change, evolu- you know, evolving they're in thought or in, in process, etc. Then you have those who are interested in change, evolving, moving things forward, uh, innovating uh, treatment, etc. You have those two different types of individuals. So I'm going to phrase the, my, the first part of my question coming from the part of Neanderthal. And then I'll wrap the second part with the other person. So here's the first part. What is all this crap about mindfulness? And what does that have to do with recovery? And how is that going to help anyone in recovery? That's the mindset. Mm-hmm. Now, from the from the other side, okay, the other side, the other person who is open to 
different ways of looking at helping people. How does mindfulness and help or how can it how is it utilized or how do you utilize it to help someone in the recovery process? Mm. Well, let me uh, address the first question. Uh what is mindfulness? Mindfulness is just the process of being able to come to this place of stillness. And we do that in a systematic order and a manner. It's a step-by-step process. It's not just closing your eyes and taking a deep breath. It's actually more contemplating about the process of what's the, your process and what you, your personal experiences and what you've gone through. There's many different forms of mindfulness. There's probably 101 ways to meditate. And so when we talk about meditation, meditation is one uh, component under mindfulness. Mindfulness is the school of thought and higher consciousness. Not No longer do we just open our eyes and what we see is what we get when we understand and start practicing mindfulness. We begin to interconnect with everything that's alive that's around us and begin to show appreciation and honor to that. To that. So it would be very difficult for a practicing and an advanced mindful person to bring harm to themselves, thus to others. So mm-hmm. mindfulness is this mindfulness is this real intimate relationship that we many of us have never had with ourselves. It's self discovery. It's also a healing modality that's whereby when you are practicing mindfulness, whether it be transcendental meditation or primordial sound or any other form, there is a whole biological thing that's going on on the inside of your body. Now, oftentimes, coming off of drugs, uh, alcohol, or any kind of uh, foreign substance, uh, we our bodies are totally out of whack. Our bodies are just have, are just not functioning. I mean, the, the bridges are falling down in our brainwave activities, and those bridges need to be rebuilt, and our biological systems need to be reconnected to be able to start the healing process. So that reduces the desire to relapse and reduces craving. So mindfulness is in recovery, and so what we're what we're talking about here begins to bring a more exact and precise process together other than just abstinence. It begins to complement the abstinence. It begins to complement the 12-step and any other process of recovery. Mindfulness is should be the cap and the hub that should be placed on everything else in the model of what we consider and what have we have been considering for years of recovery. And so my whole goal is to bring, because, because of my own personal experience, and I'm not talking about I'm learning this from a book, I experienced this change and shift. And I've been teaching other individuals that are inside and outside of jails and prisons mindfulness, and the results have been amazing. So while we are captivated in this incarceration mode, mindfulness gives the person the ability to shift outside of what their condition is and being confined, and they begin to find freedom in that small space, which makes them well and better and healthier not just for themselves, but also for the whole small environment. So my, you know, the one that you mentioned earlier, what I am doing right now is that in San Mateo County, the new jail that they're building in California, that mindfulness, my, my program approach is then it's going to be implemented in that. I actually did a 
two-year journey in Maguagio, in uh, the Ozil, in the choices program to, to test the model. But we're going to be we're rolling out pilots. Odell, Odell let me it. just – I don't mean to interrupt you. I just want to clarify for our audience because the way you phrase that, they may misinterpret what you said, that you were okay. act, you're, you're actually um, – Providing this, teaching this, uh, facilitating this in the uh, our, our local jail here in San Mateo County. Not that you were in jail in, in San Mateo County. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, I was going to definitely clear that up. But actually, I, yeah, I've been teaching teaching mindfulness in McGuire Jail for two years, right. and and it was really been it's been more of a pilot uh, as I began to receive feedback from the participants. And so I have more than 2,500 uh, surveys and questionnaires of their of their experience, and it's a, it's an 86% approval rating. And regardless what what creed or color or background that any individual is from, mindfulness just seems to work in recovery, and not just recovery from drugs and alcohol, but recovery from trauma of all sorts. It sounds like it's the next. Step, so to speak, or you described it as the 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 cap and hub or the hub and cap, right? On on top of the process. Yes, it's, it's, I, I describe it as more of a complementary uh, modality in practice that kind of seals all the other things that are foundationally uh, provided based on the treatment programming that you then one would be in. Right. It acted as that. It acted as a, a a very viable and alternative resource that I knew nothing of that I really drew a lot of strength from that helped to empower even what I was currently learning in a traditional manner within that matrix. So one of the things that we talked about on the show when a person, let's go say, goes through residential treatment, and as you know, in San Mateo County where we are, um, most of the people going into the various residential programs are coming out of the local criminal justice system, the McGuire facility, as you stated. And so we kind of like identified the different phases of treatment. We kind of named them like trimesters, like a, like a pro, almost like a pregnancy. You got the first trimester, and you even described it. You talked about a little bit of how, how it is in early recovery, then the second trimester, then that third period when a person – kind of has has grasped all the things that they've been talking about in the various programs. As okay. if when teaching someone to kind of get this mindfulness process, is it a different teaching process on where they are in the recovery process versus so someone who's just getting started versus someone who's on the tail end? Is, is the process different as to what you are trying to teach them? Well, the process, I think, I think it's very, it's very powerful, and it really uh, integrates very well in the early acute process, doing uh, well during the initial stages of recovery. Uh, because I think the information, oftentimes, that we are presenting to someone is just coming out of the, the street and they're in treatment, they're inside, they're in residential, is that their, their mental processes are, are not functioning at full capacity. Right. So a, a very mild-mannered uh, uh, meditation, nothing too heavy. So the traditional time to meditate is 20 minutes on the average. 
but someone just come into treatment, that should be modified to maybe five minutes, and then it gradually increased along the way in treatment. That was eventually, by the time in the third trimester, that they would be what you would say advanced mandatory, or, or, or just advanced in the, in the understanding of how to use mindfulness within their recovery. So, yes, yeah, so mindfulness is a, a very important tool, I believe, uh, and I think we're going to kind of really hone in on it as being meditation in the initial stages. Because mm-hmm. there's, also some edu- there's also some education around what are you really doing, the instructional process. This is what right. you're doing. To This is what's happening inside your body in places that you don't even see when you just take the breath. And, and right. Deep, deep. Yeah, in, a deep dive, in your diaphragm deeply. So just a, a mild approach, not nothing too intense. And if they progress through the, the first trimester, then we begin to reevaluate where they are in the overall recovery process. And then we can determine if we want to move to more of a medium uh, level of um, mindfulness training, which would which would encompass even more of a broader scope of what mindfulness is. Have you received uh, pushback from, let's say, the old guard, whether it's the 12-step community or you know, whatever, the old guard in terms of bringing this in to the recovery process? Oh, certainly I have. It was even within our local jail, there were people that were, that were real strong on, I am a 12-stepper, and there's nothing else that <laughs> <laughs> and I'm not trying to hear nothing about that, right? <laughs> and, and and each time that happens, you know, because they're in somewhat of a, of a model program, they got to follow, you know, the procedures. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so whether they participate or not, they have to sit there. And each right. time that same person that started saying that by the end of the day, they begin to get feedback. It might not happen that same in that same session, but say right. in two or three weeks, right. they begin to say, "Hey, you know, I was sitting there and I didn't want to close my eyes, but I mean, I kind of felt something. You know, maybe maybe there's, maybe there's something in this because I really kind of begin to have this imaginative um, feeling about what is it like to really be and live a life on the other side." you know, in a sustainable way where I'm not recycling back through this process. So so I think that it, just, it, be, it becomes contagious, uh, and I think that the best way that mindfulness is practiced is, is within a group setting, and of course, mm-hmm. there's no environment that is a group setting. Right. And so I think I think that there's, there's, a, there's a plethora of mindfulness uh, research that has been done in jails and prisons and that, the main one that you'll find in terms of dental meditation uh, is being the one that's used, which is evidence-based practice. In fact, the uh, Department of Health, the National Institute of Health has actually designated mindfulness as an evidence-based practice, and you will see it being used all over the country in so many different areas of, um, of our, you know, our country and businesses. Well, you, you know, I mean, I, I've already seen it in the uh, I'm not, I don't remember the the acronym for the organization, but they 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 look at evidence based practices for use in in prisons, um, and and it's it's for lack of a better expression, it's all up in there um, mm-hmm. already, and mm-hmm. 
So uh, another question I had, and this is uh, again looking from at the, from the Neanderthal point of view, uh, and you even mentioned a little bit. You mentioned the word meditation. All of a sudden, someone goes to a different view, or they have an image in their mind of what that looks like, which then kind of turns them away from being open to what it actually is that what this process is. Do you experience mm-hmm. that? And, and do if you do, that. how do you, how do you, uh, other than just through time and you know working on someone through time, how do you fight through that? Well, you know, it's a matter of, of changing the language. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, it's really right up. I mean, that works every time. You know, if, if meditation, it depends on the culture, the environment, and the, and the, the general traditions of the entire group. I mean, I can right. pretty much accept that. And so, right. for, example, for example, when I was working with youth down in the inner city, you know, when we talked about meditation, I didn't use meditation. I said, let's go and chill for a minute. <laughs> right? <laughs> and that really, worked, that really worked for them. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. It really did. And so I, I was kind of played when I, when I, when I went to, to teach mindfulness in a church because, after, because uh, the church was kind of one where everybody, where is everybody leaving this? The church and going to sneaking in the back doors of these meditation studios and yoga studios. Right. And so I said, well, let me show you why, because I'm going to show you what, you know, and I called it holy yoga. You know, <laughs> and holy holy yoga. <laughs> so, but in, in, so in the, in, the, in the jails and prisons, we, I started out calling it contemplation. And then I explained what contemplation is. And right. contemplation really is. A split between prayer and meditation, and um, and so it really connects with anybody. And I think most people have some connection to the Bible, and just immediately they just kind of hit, even though they don't fully understand it until I explain with how you contemplate something that happened in your life, like transformation. And uh, and then, but we begin to talk about the steps and how do we really know? How do we really get the body to? to get in position to receive this contemplation or, in other words, meditation. And once they start doing it, then I, I start gradually bringing in meditation into it, you know, and they, and they begin to not be resistant to it at all. So it's a little bit of kind of trickery sometimes, but it just depends on the environment in, in which I'm in. Uh, but but okay. I, one thing I want to say is that those that are incarcerated are less resistant on anything. Because they really, and wholeheartedly, many of them that are in those uh, specialized programs are really seeking a way out to change. Right. Right. I noticed. Um, now, go ahead. I, I just I, I, to, to kind of piggyback on that. So now, I just recently um, went, in, went in a collaborative. Uh, collaborative contract with Maranatha Church in San Jose. Uh, Santa Clara County is now getting very aggressive. Santa Clara, California, uh, and they are now not waiting for people to get out to use mindfulness. They are actually wanting to bring it in on the inside. So there's a three month in and a three month to six month out support right. process. And I think that when I think about that, I think about that to be a, a frame of a three trimesters too. Because I really believe in the soft drop down from jail uh, right. into a place of support, uh, and then also a, a longer term. So, so mindfulness does have that lifespan, 
and, and certainly beyond that. So, uh, so we're, we're, we're looking like we're going to be going in there to do do that at, at the Amwood Jail in Santa Clara County. Okay. And that's strictly well, that's strictly the substance abuse program. That's that's really what right. it's all about. What they're trying to do. Yeah. So. Uh, at the beginning, you stated uh, that you were right now working on or or getting close to uh, wrapping up, um, I guess, getting ready to uh, get that Ph.D. Is that what's up next for you uh, personally? Yes, personally, the Ph.D. is uh, right around the corner. Uh, I am in dissertation phase, and my dissertation is looking at the attitudes and beliefs of the criminal justice administrators that design rehabilitation practices to be used and the implications for African-American males. Since we have a vast amount, a mass amount, I would say, of African-American men that are incarcerated. And if we look at it from the cinnamon side, we have a vast amount of African-American women that are incarcerated in comparison to others. And that's something that's been a hot topic. Our president has been traveling around to prisons and treatment facilities as well as the Pope. And uh, this country is becoming in an uproar about this because this is a human, this is a human uh, condition that mm-hmm. does not need to continue to happen like this. Right. So my whole focus now around my dissertation is that I'm going to be speaking on TED Talk in my hometown. Uh, in April 2016, and the reason they called me back to do that because I am kind of what of the what they would consider a billboard that you can turn your life around based on right. what they knew how I used to be, and so the, the governor who who has a strong initiative to reduce overcrowding and and bring in more treatment and intervention practices is going to be sitting in that audience, and. Um, and I'm going to be presenting my research from the attitudes and beliefs of criminal justice administrators in the state of California, who are even more progressive than Arkansas. Right. Yep. But it's going to be really interesting. So I would say that there's a there's a movement that's going on, and I would like to be a part of that movement. And this is all about recovery, so I'm not, I'm not trying to get outside of the frame here. This is about recovery. You know, more than 75% of people that are in jail are in there for drug-related offenses. Yes. Yep. And, uh, and that doesn't necessarily mean that they were also using as well. Right. Yeah, right. Well, it, the way we look at it is you had actually two recoveries because uh, you recovered from being a politician. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Exactly. And then you and then your personal journey of, of re- recovery is the second, the second one, uh, which is the one right. that we, val- we value more. <laughs> but, but that previous that previous life as a politician gives you experience and a little bit of inroads in how to uh, navigate uh, yes. that world that you're in and going into. Right. Exactly. So. Exactly. Well, yeah, Mr. So Odell Johnson, go ahead. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, that role has been very fluid. And one thing I, I would like to say, you know, in 
you know, I've only been living in the state of California for three and a half years by way of St. Louis and Ferguson. And Ferguson is a very, uh, well, not Ferguson itself. Ferguson is not so bad. But St. Louis in general is hurting. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when I came to California, I came out here specifically to come and find a school that had that very aggressive and progressive psychology, unlike the, the, the old school psychology. Right. And, and my whole goal was to come and learn that process and be able to take it back to St. Louis and be able to mm-hmm. implement it in some community-based program or right. start going back to re- reactivate my own. So, but I, I must say that the, uh, the experience in California has taken me into places that I could not go into in the South. Uh, right. Being a person after, after 20 years of, you know, if you have a conviction or a felony, you can't even go back into jail and help. Right. Right. You can't get back in, and, but California is different. You know, they right. have a lot more leniency in that regard. And so I'm very appreciative of that experience. And hopefully, you know, after my TED Talk, that's one of the things that would be on the platform, is that you should not uh, reject or limit people that have shown that they have turned their lives around, they have done great work in the community, they have a track record of being consistent. You should not deny them the opportunity to come in and serve to help other people become in the, to to become the same or become in the same kind of position in their own life. And the, the third thing I'm talking about in that talk is about that limitation on what is incarceration because right now incarceration is not just doing the time that anybody was serving the time, but it's also doing probation or parole, and it's also after then it's a lifetime until the day of death. And so that's something that we have to stop because that creates a, psycho- a psychosis of this being selfless. I mean, being, I'm sorry, not selfless, but a psychosis that kind of manifests itself in so many dysfunctional ways until that, people, that person never achieves a quality of life after they have had the experience and worked hard to turn their lives around. Right. And that could go many, many different ways to the negative, and recovery becomes... Not so good. When when is this TED Talk scheduled? Scheduled April the sixteenth, tentatively right now. Okay. Um, yeah, and it's going to be yeah. You can stream it so for those that may be interested. Can stream it. Um, I'll certainly remind you of that. You know. Yeah. Uh, we want uh, to link it. We want to link it to our site, obviously. Um. Yeah. So Odell Johnson, we uh, we want to thank you very much for being our guest today on Roach on Recovery, talking about mindfulness in recovery, uh, which is a movement within itself in the recovery uh, world. Um, And at least locally, I know your ultimate goal is to go back to the Midwest. (laughs) You're dropping the seeds here locally. I've been dropping some seeds that have definitely taken root. Uh, I guess taking yeah, root and your, grow, taking root and grow. Yeah, well, I think one of your, your uh, maybe I don't know, one of your co- coalition members in Redwood City, California, uh, yep. the Hope House, is, is now wrapping up in the mindfulness in that program. But 
And I, my, my whole approach with them, and even with any other, even in the jail, I mean, talking to the chief of probation in San Mateo County, I can't really get a holistic, you know, outcome from mindfulness because I don't teach those that are actually the ones that are managing the people that are being taught mindfulness. The conversation between law enforcement officials being a, being a probation officer or even the ones that are in the, in the park in jail that are monitoring and managing these lifestyles of these individuals, they must be taught mindfulness too. And uh, I certainly have the chief here, chief of probation here, uh, Chief King, but certainly not the sheriff in the in the county. Um, it's kind of like this this territorial thing. If we start being mindful, that's going to make us soft. And people well, that are recovering, yeah, people that are recovering well, are going to take that. Are you there? Yeah, yeah. I, I was just saying. I, was, I didn't mean to interrupt, but the first the first place that I was experienced is when back in the late '90s, when California started doing the in prison therapeutic communities. And there was that right. power struggle between the, you know, even though they at the certain prisons they had kind of set set off a certain ward for the therapeutic community to exist within the prison, but you know the correctional officers had their own ideas of what was right. going to happen, you know, while it was on their ground. Right. So um, even though it was groundbreaking at the time, it was a struggle to to get everybody right. on on the same page because just like you say, whether or not. You know, if the sheriff is not on the same page with the chief PO, and they and they have a view that, well, if we allow this mm-hmm. to take place in the prison, this is what may happen or may not happen. Well, I mean, in the jail, mm-hmm. the same thing they thought mm-hmm. in the prison. Well, if they're getting all these privileges and they're not locked down for 23 hours of the day, and and so on and so forth, but they have a different experience, so that when they leave, there's a different outcome. Some just aren't yeah. interested in that. Right. Some just exactly. are not interested in that. So that's what yeah, we and, and yeah, and back in the day, I mean, that's before we started having the president going inside the prisons, and we have all these other, all these uh, interest groups, and not in the humanitarian organizations all over the world that are looking at America, saying, you know, that is really not correct what you all are doing uh, to such a mass amount of people. You know, you have to think prison more people than any place in the world, and they got a bad, they got a black eye. And so, based on the Department of Justice initiatives and pressure on each state and town and, and county, that they are now they've now got to to make that that change, and they got to make it in a very systematic manner, and it's got to be done. It's no it's no option no more, because <laughs> it's really right. got down to control. Yeah. <laughs> All right, I want I want to close with this. Um, you're you're fully aware of prop. 40, Proposition 47 in California, I presume, um, yes. which the goal was to, you know, reduce specific crimes from felonies down to misdemeanors and hopefully gear people towards, uh, you know, community-based organizations, whether for treatment or whatever their needs may, may be, psychiatric or, you know, what have you. Um what is your initial observation so far on how that is plan, uh, panning out? Well, my observation is that um, it's a very mild step of recovery uh, in regards to um, a person really. Well, there's a lot of it's, it's, it's a lot of gaps in that, and, and what you know, and it goes all the way back to, to ban the box because. You know, even though we've been in the box in San Francisco and a few other counties, 
what that means is that on application, uh, when you're applying for a job, you, they can't say right, if you're convicted of a crime. Right. But they, also, but they have the Right, but they have the option to to bring that up during the interview process, and, and believe me, every time they interview someone, their intention is to bring it up. Right. And then it becomes then it then it becomes a factor again, because all they really are doing is following the rules. But mm-hmm. they have, but they do have the option. I mean, they, ultimately, they have the choice to say yes, yes or no. And, right. And, no, and there's no there's no uh, recourse. I mean, there's no Consequences for that, but but going to five forty seven. Okay, so we reducing. I think that's a good thing that we we reducing the felonies, A B felonies down. I mean, so I think it was a B felony to a to an eight. Well, I'm sorry, I think each state has a different way they they calculate that. Okay, but back in St. Louis, it was like a B felony was just a, maybe a theft or a breaking and entering. And then I can see if they reduce that down to a C felony, which is a lower level felony. Then you know, then maybe it won't look like it was just that horrible type of person. But right. I understand they're not they're not necessarily reducing the felony down to a misdemeanor. They're actually, depending on the nature of the felony, reducing it to a next felony down, and it's still right. a felony. And all and all that shows up when the background check is done is a felony. <laughs> it doesn't matter what it was. It's a right. felony, and that's and that's what people hold on to, and I think it still perpetuates. The over incarceration and the recidivism, the high recidivism rate uh, in, in 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 our communities. Because more so more, and, that, uh, I didn't mean to interrupt you. I was just saying because more more and more, uh, not only public entities, but and, and they're the most guilty in my opinion, the public entities. Uh, but private, you know, if you have a felony, uh, you can't be a barber, you can't be a cosmetologist, you can't. I mean, you know, so, so many different professions that people are prevented from practicing. You know, right. where they can, well, you but, know. But, right, but you have to understand that's more directed towards people of color because those are the type of professions that we usually gravitate to and want to anyway. Right, right. And so, so, so therefore, it is an attack on people of color communities. And that's why we have, you know, that you, I mean, there are. 959,000 African-American men in state prisons and jails in this country, and another 2.3 million on probation. And while they only represent 12% of the entire population of this country. So in the opposed, now, so i got to show you the comparison. So the comparison is that, that there are only about 300,000 uh, European males in, in, the same, in the same position. And then there's others, and then there's women, but the total population is 2.3 million people in jail and prisons right now, as we speak, in the United States, and 7 million are on probation. And the most of them, at 70%, are people of color. Well, they represent Od- less of the population. And that's Odell? That is, you're talking about, yes. I was just going to say, because we're kind of running out of time, I was just going to say we're going we're gonna to have to close on that sobering, that sobering stat. <laughs> Yeah. That's a very yeah. sobering stat. But listen, um I want to thank you very much for uh being a guest today. Um, yeah. we are yeah. we're gonna look forward to uh your appearance on the TED talk and I uh, hope you'll send me a reminder so that we can uh link to it on our on our site. 
and uh, hopefully post that, have you back on and talk about how that went down and, and, and what comes what has come out of that appearance. Okay. That sounds great. I really enjoyed uh, having this time with you and your listening audience, and uh, so I look forward to y'all kind of like keeping up and checking me out uh, on this uh, presentation and on TED Talk. No problem. Thank you very much, Odell. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye. All right. Bye. That's Odell Johnson, um, who does some great work locally here on mindfulness, bringing it into the local county jail, which is not an easy feat, bringing uh, a new way of looking at uh, uh, recovery or uh, enhancing yeah, the recovery process uh, for the Neanderthals, <laughs> right, <laughs> right, that exists, especially in the in the in the jail. The haters of change <laughs> and progression. Um, so it, it it I'm sure it took a lot of uh, pushing and um, pulling and tugging to uh, to to get that in there. Um, and now that uh, the other the neighboring county for our East Coast listeners, uh, Santa Clara County is uh also now incorporating that into their uh the treatment that they start out within mm-hmm. their jail mm-hmm. system that's a a good thing uh i think when when we a long time ago when we were talking about mindfulness and we said when you look at it big picture not uh fine details as he was talking about but big picture if we were to sum it up with how it kind of meshes with what we do we just have one unwritten, one unwritten philosophy that it goes with, and that's to be aware is to be alive. Right, right. So, all right, we're at the top of the hour. Um, we gave him the whole hour. We gave him the whole hour. That's it, man. We had him come on. A lot of good information, and he's doing a lot of work in the field. So mm-hmm. I think that was excellent. All right, why don't we do our top of the hour music break, and then we'll come back on the other side with some recovery support. I got some. I got some great file questions some great questions okay that's that's a, what we call in this field a tease in the uh media and communications field so we do see we've uh, got a couple people on hold uh waiting to call in so we're going to take a quick music break for you all and we will be back with recovery sport time in a gif Baby 
up next is OCG Radio's Recovery Support Time, where our hosts provide support and guidance for your recovery-related questions and issues. Recovery Support Time, where it's our time to help you.
Okay, welcome back to Roach on Recovery. We're now in our recovery support time. And uh... the extended version. So he decides to play the whole <laughs> clip this time. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I want to uh, hit some of these X-Files real quick. Now, one of the things I don't think we've told our listeners is that we, you and I sometimes debate whether or not we're going to ask a question that is sent to us. Yeah, there's some pre-screening involved, yeah. for sure. And more often than – I'm usually the one that questions whether or not this is a question that's relevant to – We'll call you the conservative and myself the liberal in this situation. Okay, well, however you want to label it. Um, but I think in the end, there have been less than like maybe two or three questions that we've decided not next. to right. next as just nowhere near within the realm of what we're talking about. Right, okay? exactly. It has nothing to do with recovery. Uh, so with that, I'm going to ask, this is not the, the great, question, but I'm just going in the order, so not to cheat anybody, because sometimes if we go out of order, then people, oh, you didn't ask my question. All right, so, but this one's real easy. This is from Santino in Oakland. How do I overcome my sex addiction, my addiction to sex? The answer is real quick and simple. Uh, We're not uh, therapists, nor are we sex therapists. Uh, You need to find a therapist. Yeah, I heard um, Tiger Woods found a pretty good place for that. There you go. Simple as that. That's one of the questions we debated, by the way. Um, Cynthia, how do I begin to trust people? This is a good question because this comes up a lot. How do I begin to trust people when all I've done is been let down? This is a great challenge, not just for people in recovery, just for us as humans in general, whenever the trust bond has been broken um, and for whatever reason, however it manifested itself, the feeling is the same. How is that repaired? Well, it's a process. Um, and both parties or or if it's an individual who has been, quote, unquote, violated, uh, the trust has been violated, you know, by a group or numerous people. And so in general, they don't trust anybody. How how do they get their groove back to put themselves out there at risk for being, uh, quote, unquote, having their trust violated again? So, you know, there's an old school answer to that, which is ultimately I can get very wordy and, 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 and beat around the bush. And the, and the old school answer is this. Ultimately, if what you want is to trust. There is no free lunch. So that means, despite how much you may have been hurt, how much your trust that you put out there has been violated, the only way you're going to get what you want is to expose yourself again, to be vulnerable to that same thing happening again. And Understand that, you know what, if your trust is violated again, you're not going to die from it. 
it'll be it'll hurt, it'll be painful. It'll be a number of things. It could be rejecting depending on who it, you know, who it is and how it comes about. It can be it can create a lot of bad feelings. But you have to pick yourself up off the mat and put yourself back out there again in order to ultimately obtain what you want, which is a relationship with another person that's founded on trust, and you're not going to get that if you're not willing to put yourself out there. you got to work at it. So it is a process. It doesn't happen overnight. But at some point, I am going to give you the jackboot. <laughs> right. No, I mean, that makes sense. And I think it stems from what you first said. Do you genuinely want that? Mm-hmm. Want to be able to trust again? Want a relationship? Do, is it something... If you feel content or complacent in not having any kind of deep relationship moving forward, mm-hmm. sure, maybe protect yourself. Don't take a risk. Don't don't risk that you might get hurt again. Yep. But if it's something that you genuinely want, it is going to be a risk, but you're going to have to work at it. Right. All right. This is uh, from Arnold and Lodi. This is another, in my opinion, a great question. Out there in Lodi, huh? Yeah, way out there. Ukiah. Do you believe in the term break you down, So in quotations, break you down to build you back up? So that, that And that's kind of old school, too, or at least its roots are in the old school. Um, almost, and you would know better than me, but kind of existed in the day top experience with the whole coming in in the image deal mm-hmm. where we're going to strip you of everything that you hold on to to shield yourself, mm-hmm. whether that be um, for women, jewelry and makeup, or for guys, the sagging of the pants and the, the certain style that a teenager was going to carry himself that he held on to so, as a part of his image. I just have to interrupt. So the sagging of the pants didn't exist for us, it was okay. that's, that's more for us. Okay, but um, along the clothing line that you're using, I yeah. would say if somebody came in, and this might be before your time. <laughs> did you did you guys tell them no bell bottom? No, uh, no, no. We weren't that far back. If somebody came in and and was what we called a Freddie fashion plate. Okay. They always came on the floor in a nice suit and tie and what have you. Okay. Okay. You gave them a and pair that, of overalls? And that, yes. And that was their image, you know, coming in. <laughs> right. We would flip the script on them and say, no certain, no shoot and tie. Uh, like you said, some overalls and work pants and what have you. Yeah. Just things like that. And someone who dressed very shabbily. Well, they were made to go to the warehouse and, and get a suit and tie. Start, right. And come on the floor looking like that. Right. Okay, so, and the the irony about that is each one had a, for lack of a better expression, warped self-view of themselves. The person who dressed like Freddie Fashion Plate and the person who dressed terribly. Right. You know, but almost both rooted in that, in the same, uh, they were both covering something. Right. Okay. And so I think, yeah, and that speaks to his question. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it's it's very subjective how somebody might define someone being broken down before being built up. 
it, we're not we're not in the business of making you feel like a piece of garbage. No, because you and come throwing you, all your dirt in you, your face to make you, you come in feeling bad as it as is. As it is, it's right? Our job to humiliate you further. And that, and I think that might be a common misperception of people who aren't familiar with the field or or have, don't know someone who's been through the process when they hear that. Oh yeah, they they tear you down before they build you back up mm-hmm. in tearing someone down and throwing all their flaws at them mm-hmm. and making them to accept this and feel a certain way before building you back up that it it's not in that style but more in the mentality of peeling back the layers the shield that you've developed right. whether that be through dress or the way you carry yourself or or your job or whatever it may be and removing all that to get to your core right and then to build up your self self-esteem from the core right. to project back out into whoever it is that you may return to or may may become we do uh we do break down negative attitudes of course but we try and do it in a respectful dignified way right. we do break down negative thinking yes um or what we used to call stinking thinking and that would get you in trouble um but in a in a respectful and dignified way of course ultimately the breaking down is not humiliating. It's as you say, trying to peel, should be empowering. Peel, yeah, peel back so that we can enlighten you a little bit, mm-hmm. um, and then the building up process starts. Because now I have a new understanding of who I really am and, and who I was, what right. I was doing, how I fought, and now I'm learning. This is I got to go this direction. That's the building back up. And at the same time, the community. Your peers, the staff now know who you really are at your core right. and can accept you accept you for that, which – and then it's cyclical. Right. You've Okay, I am okay to be myself. I can be accepted without A, B, and C. And exactly. And just a slight correction. I believe I mentioned Ukiah when you said Lodi. I was thinking of another city, Willits. Lodi is the Stockton area. Yeah, Lodi is central, right? Yeah, Stockton, Tracy. Ukiah is way up north. North. Right. Guy's been living here for 55 years and doesn't even know his own uh, state. <laughs> Actually, it's only 30, 33? Um, 31, oh, but 30, 55. Man. Good Lord. <laughs> Don't let the grays in the beard fool you, all right? <laughs> uh, I know we've got some calls holding, but I want to get to this one here. Um, from Lucita in Modesto, Central. That's right. California. All right, listen up here. My boyfriend and I smoked a meth together, and I want to quit. He said he'll leave me if I don't smoke with him. What should I do? Adios. (laughs) There's, I mean, the question, really, if you take a moment. So it would debate, is that really serious? But no, it is serious. I mean, it's a real question. So we. we But I would say that for her... There's actually only one person that can answer that question, mm-hmm. and that's her. Mm-hmm. And if you take a moment to think about it, it's as hard as it can be to make the decision. I don't believe that the challenge is in what I should do. It's more about I know what I should do, but how do I go about it? And that that's going to be very hard because it's really easy. I can only have a PlayStation or an Xbox which one do I want more? I can't have them both together. Get some courage. Yeah. All right. 
last one before we go to the calls. Um, Rick from San Leandro. Uh, he wants to go to a treatment program, but he doesn't think he can afford it. What are his options? Hmm. His options suck in the state of California. They that's do. All t- that's all I can tell you. Because uh, if you're not, and, and we experienced this a lot with the adolescents, with with parents calling up. I mean, it was, um, what's the word? Aside from pitiful, it was sad. Where parents would call up um, their children are in need of help, but the only way that you could help them since they couldn't afford treatment was as if their children was in, in the juvenile justice right. system. Right. There, yeah, Who there would were, then fund their treatment. There were times where parents would read between the lines and think, okay, the next time he brings drugs into the house, right. I call make, the police. Make a phone call. Press charges. He exactly. gets on pro, then boom, they'll, they'll yeah. pay for your deal. There you go. So that's the game that we have to play in California. So um, unless you are uh, destitute, you know, where you qualify for right. public assistance, and then that would pay for your treatment. Um, you know, in New York, it wasn't like that. It, it didn't it, – what, what, whatever your assets were, it didn't make a difference. They, mm. they, they covered your treatment costs. Um, and – at least my view and in, in the way I thought was the way I repay New York, not only by leaving, but <laughs> but by becoming a good citizen. Right. A productive citizen. Right. You know, that's how I repay them. But uh, I got out of town very quickly. So this idea does not reflect the views of OCG or its employees in any way, <laughs> but perhaps a crime that doesn't hurt anybody, you go and have a – Five hundred dollar steak dinner somewhere. You casually no, walk out on the bill. I'm not that. paying. No, no, I think five hundred. I think you might be the grand larceny limit. Okay. So maybe go to a McDonald's, McDonald's or something. <laughs> go to the drive-through. No, they make don't... you pay. They make you yeah, go to the drive-through. No, they make they still make you pay first. The first window. That's why you got to do the restaurant. You gotta, uh, there you go. You got to do the Applebee's. Out oh, there you go. Yeah, nice and cheap, and and you can you can stand there and say, go ahead and call the police. I will not run, but I'm not paying for the bill. Don't resist either. We don't want to see you on the six o'clock news getting wailed on. Right for for running out on a fish and chips order. Yeah, there you go. All right, let's go to Ashley, who's been patiently holding. Ashley, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you. Um, I was just wondering. I've been uh, sober for a little bit over a month now, and I've been dealing with a lot of uh, trauma from my past. And um, it's getting harder and harder to stay sober for me. Um, I used to use alcohol and methamphetamines. And, um, you know, all the, it's like these little flashbacks I keep having of just like, you know, abuse, um, mental, physical, you know, that type of stuff. And it's it's been really hard to, like, work through the pain. And usually what I would do is I would go, you know, go get a bottle, go to the bar, get drunk, or, you know, call the dealer or whatever and get loaded and um, stuff all these things down and, you know, just forget about them. Um, So I just wanted to know if – I just was wondering if you had any good coping skills or something that maybe you knew something that I could do to keep my mind off these things. Um, Listening to music and writing and drawing really aren't helping me with um, any of this. Um, I do want to stay sober, of course, but um, it's been getting really, really hard for me. 
out of everything that you stated, you know what was the most telling thing for me? What? When you said, I do want to stay sober, but. Mm-hmm. The first thing we want to do is eliminate the but after that statement and just make a flat statement. I do want to stay sober. And there's no but after it. How we go about making that happen is a different story. Mm. Are you in a program now? Yes, I am. Okay. So you have the first step achieved. You're receiving help or you're in a place where you can possibly get help. Yes. But so at any time, to, I can just, you know, walk you just, out, and I haven't yeah, yet, you know. That's right. That's right. So it's going it requ- to, it, there's two things going to be at play. One is you and your self-discipline and self-control, okay, to, to be able to disregard, or let me rephrase that, to be able to not allow your feelings to dictate how you're going to behave, meaning my feelings are not going to cause me to decide to run out the door. I have to recognize that these are just my feelings right now. This is just how I feel. Everything is coming. I've been in recovery one month. Mm -hmm. So everything that I've been medicating or used to medicating is going to come up, come to the fore. It's going to all come, come at me. And it's going to it's going to seem very overwhelming. Yes. That first wave that comes at you, and is is it's like a tsunami. So it's going to be the first wave, a second wave, a third wave. You have to resist the urge, the temptation, the thought, the feeling to react by boom hitting the door. Yeah. You'll think about the door. You'll look at the door, you'll walk past the door, but you must resist the urge to walk out the door. Yeah, you know, I've I've even written, like, uh, you know, the pros and cons of doing, you know, getting loaded or anything like that. And really, there's no pros to it. I've been able to figure out more cons than anything. And with staying sober, I have all these pros and all these things and all these goals that I can do staying sober. And, you know, um, it's just... It's just been really, really tough, and you know, as much as I want this, I need this as well too. And but it's just, it's super overwhelming, and I, for some reason, can't get out of this. It seems like a just a horrible nightmare of everything just coming down at me all at once. You know, it's um. That it's, that's what happens. That that's what's occurring. It's supposed to happen. Okay. You are, you are, trust me, there are others who have experience that are there who have, who have experience or are currently experiencing the same thing. And one of the things I would advise you to do is to talk about what you are experiencing so others who can say, hey, you know what, I identify with that. I went through that. Or, you know, I'm going through that right now. Exactly what you just said. I feel the same way. And in that identification, you guys can share and talk about it. And the more you talk about what you're feeling and what you're experiencing, 
it will slowly dissipate that urge to react off of it negatively. Mm-hmm. Okay. You have the key is trusting just enough to give that a shot, give that a try, and see if yeah. that works. Okay. You got to yeah, be willing pretty, to try it. Yeah, it's pretty. You know, I mean, you don't just. You know, I, I I don't know. I'm pretty I'm a pretty shy person. I get pretty nervous, so I don't. You know, um, being in this program actually though has shown me a lot that um, you know a lot of what people drugs, are. What you, you said you use methamphetamine. Yeah. How did you How did you use it? Um, I snorted it. Okay. So, were there times when you used it when depending on what was going on in your life at the time? that right before you use it or right before you call the dealer or right before you picked up that you said those two magic words, one begins with an F, one begins with an I? Hmm? You know what those two no. words are? No. One begins with an F and it's four letters and one begins oh. with an I and it's two letters? Uh, yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. Right. So you said that. <laughs> Right. You said those two words, and you just went and did what you did, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's the same exact approach and attitude you must take with now doing something to save your life. Mm -hmm. You're shy. You're not used to talking to people and sharing your stuff and talking about how you feel. You got to say, F it, and put yourself out there. Yeah. Just like you said, F it to use and cop and make that phone call, you got to do the same thing but for a different purpose. Thank you. You're welcome. All right. Well, you have a nice night. Um, it was great talking to you. I appreciate all your help, um, and thanks. Thanks a lot. All right. Thank you, Ashley. Thanks. Bye. Bye-bye. Oh, that first trimester. It's the the first 30 days of the first trimester. Rough. A- anyone who has been through it, as I have, you have, some of our listeners have, callers, uh, I can identify with it. Of course. Those first 30 days are are it. You know what I mean? And... I'm thinking now about, you know, the entry unit in Daytop in Far Rockaway and and the setup they had and how it was designed and set up in a way to try and facilitate keeping you for right. that 30-day period. The things that you were doing during that time and, you know, they you know, there's a whole bunch of stuff that was going on in that 30-day period. Um I mean, your head was just spinning. But in looking back, it's designed, it was designed with a purpose. Knowing that that 30-day period is when the majority of people make that decision of whether or not they're staying or going. Yep, yep. And if we can just get them upstate, you know, 200 miles away, we got a chance. Mm -hmm. They have a chance. So here we are, though. We're in the quote-unquote belly of the beast. We're not not in the rolling hills of Southern California or Central California in the Sierra or in the Sierra Nevada mountains. So we're we're just we're down here in the uh in the city. And so the life is right outside the front door of the facility. So as she explained, all someone's gotta do is just you know they don't wanna you know, they 
the urge strikes them and they react off of it, they just walk out the front door, boom, they're right there. Two blocks to cop. One block to get a drink. You know, it's right there. So I always teach, I always tell them, yeah, we're in the belly of the beast. We're right we're right smack in the middle. Okay. But recovery can take place anywhere. That's right. You don't have to be in the mountains, buried in the mountains for recovery to happen. You can be right in the in the city, right in the belly of the beast. So it's very tempting, but th- those 30 days are very tough. All right, let's go to um, Tom from Redwood City. Tom, welcome to the show. Hi, how's it going? Good. Uh, yeah, I had a question. Um, I was wondering about um, what do I do when I feel stagnant in my recovery? Like, I don't feel happy being in recovery, but I don't want to go back to my old life. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it, no questions about it. I don't want to go back to that, but I'm really not happy (laughs) in recovery. Are you not happy in recovery, or are you not happy? Um... There's a difference. Not sure about a lot of things. Just very upset, very unhappy. So, hey, but you didn't answer my question. Are you not happy in recovery, or are you not happy? Um, there's a lot of people who don't use who don't use drugs or alcohol, too. Are, and are are unhappy. Right. I think. Um. I know I used to be happy. A lot of times before in recovery, but maybe I wasn't. It's hard to explain. Um, I just don't feel feel this time. It's not my first time in recovery. It feels different. Mm-hmm. I'm not excited to get my life together, but I'm I'm at a point where I know I need to. So maybe I'm taking it a little bit more seriously, but I'm just not as uh, thrilled about it as I used to be. <laughs> is is that when you when you think about listen how to I, listen carefully to how I word this question when you think about how you feel your recovery are you thinking about what's coming down the road for you what you have to face down the road or are you thinking about your current situation what i have to face down the road okay that makes sense yeah. Are you talking about whatever that is for you? Yeah, it's just um it's not like a pink cloud or anything. You but know, are you talking, get clean. Are you talking about I, are no are you talking about whatever it is that that's down the road for you? Are you talking about it sharing sharing it, et cetera? Um, yeah. You know, when I can. Um it's, you know, you know what that you know what that answer sounded like. Hmm. It sounded like, nah, not really. <laughs> yeah, it seems. Um, sometimes it just doesn't seem important. Seems like very petty things, small things, things that everybody does. But um, we call we call that. But see, you're you're minimizing something though that is important to you specifically. Right. And then to, and then projecting that other people are going to say, oh, 
That's nothing. That's small. That's petty. What are you worried about that for? You can't do that. If it's important to you, if it's something that is creating feelings in you, creating concern for you, creating trepidation for you, it's important to you, and you have to talk about it. Share it. Get underneath it. Get some understanding about it. Analyze it. Kick it around. Okay. Okay. I, uh, I will try that. I hope so. Thank you very much. You're very welcome. I almost blurted out the next thing. Back. <laughs> uh, no, that was a good call. Yeah, what what you say and how you say it. Uh, have you been doing this? Yeah, a little bit here and there. Okay. <laughs> no, 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 means... you haven't. <laughs> oh goodness. Funny what we will lead so ourselves he, so to believe. We had two different extremes, though. You had the person on the front end of recovery. And the stresses that they're going through. Right, right. And a person who sounds like, A, not only did they have it, ha, go through the process before, they're going through it again. So they have a little bit of experience. They sound like they're on the tail end of this, this current experience. And they're looking into the future of yep. wh- whatever it is that's down the road for them. And it's causing them to feel a certain way. Mm-hmm. Um, yet the advice is the same to both. Sure. Yeah, you got to share and talk about it. And trust me, there's people who feel the same exact way as you feel. That's exactly right. All right, let's go to Ben from East Palo Alto. Ben, welcome to the show. Hello. Hey there, Ben. Yeah, I'm okay. How are you? Too? Good. Good. Yeah, uh, I have a question. Um, I hope you give me a tip or help what can i do because um lay it on us huh <laughs> i said lay it on us go ahead ask the question yeah that's what i'm saying i'm trying to do now be honest all right um right now i'm here in the program from Alto and um i have feelings from someone but um I know I can I can work for for program because they have rules like no relation in pro, on my program but I right. feel some yeah I feel something from the lady right but yeah so um the thing What's your is question? Uh, my question is how can I handle myself like um Every time I saw her, so, and especially if she uh, talks someone, the other guy, so I feel like a jealous, and I know she's not my girlfriend. So what can I do for for about the feelings? Because for me, like, it's like, uh, it's I I can I can't explain that. But that's the one I feel every time I see her, and we have a good bonding too. But sometimes if I saw her to talk somebody, and I feel like a little bit jealous. So that's the one. All right. Question. Okay, I got you. 
Unfortunately, Ben, you have fallen for the trap. Say it one more time, excuse me. You have fallen for the trap. Falling for the trap? Yeah, trap. T R A P. You have yeah, yeah, trap. Okay. fallen for the trap. Uh, you already know the answer. I can tell by the way you ask the question. But you have strong feelings for this person because if you're feeling jealous yeah. when you see th- when you see them talking to other people. Yeah. That's a signal to you that wait a second, what's going on here? Have yeah, I have have all of my focus been di- misdirected to this person rather than towards what I should be focusing on, which is my recovery, mine, my own my own personal recovery. Yeah, that's that's the one that's the one it's like uh it's putting in my head too. Like personally like I came here for myself. But let me for, ask you a question. You got it right. You came there for yourself, not for anybody else. So, Mm -hmm. those are your feelings. And that's fine, because your feelings are your feelings. They're neither right, they're neither wrong. It's just how you feel. The Mm -hmm. question, though, is does Ben have the discipline and the self-control to not act off his feelings? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is that a yes or, or are you just saying yeah because you hear me? Do you have? You're you right. Have... You're right. You're right. Um, because every time I, I feel like a jealous, I'm not acting like angry. You know, yeah. like I, I I feel like like um, I don't know why why it's happened to me like that. You know, I'm not acting like uh, I'm angry that person. Like, no, I, I'm... I, I, I we understand that. What I'm saying though is you. Are you you just do you understand though that this is a this is this is a challenge that has come come your way while you're in the middle of your recovery process. Okay. And it it's testing whether or not you have the discipline, the self-discipline mm-hmm. and the self-control to not let how you feel okay control how you act. All There's right. nothing so, w- there is Listen carefully. There's nothing wrong with how you feel. It's natural and normal for you to feel the way you feel about this person. It just happens. Okay. The the question is, do you have the self-discipline and self-control to not act off of it? Yeah, I do. That's all I need to know. And that's, that's all you need to know for yourself. As long as you know that, then... You find someone you trust, someone you feel comfortable with, and you talk about those feelings. And that will help dissipate them. That will help them go away. It will help them minimize a little bit. Okay. Okay? Because, yeah, I understand that. Because for me, and like, of course, I don't want in trouble that, that, that person because I know they have rules here. Yes. And you don't want I'm to just, you don't want keep... to get yourself in trouble, and you don't want to you don't want to impact the other person's recovery. So yes, yeah, we understand yeah. that. Yeah. Okay. So that's why I try to um, just you know like keep myself like you know hold my belly like that. <laughs> so I just got to ask and you a I'm... question, and then I just got to ask you one question, and we got to run. Are you okay. going to talk to somebody in the family 
about what you're feeling. Yeah, I do because I need okay. help. Like, what can All I right. do? You know what I mean? I need okay. the other, um, another, um, like, uh, suggestion. What can I do? All right. Well, talk you to. Know? Make sure you talk to another male in the family to help you. Okay. All right. All right. Thank you, sir. Thank you so much. You're welcome. All right. So much love in the air and treatment. What is, that? what is that about? It's getting a little cold should we, outside. Should, the we, holiday. should we capitalize on that and maybe have you know see if we can uh, pitch a uh, you know a dating show? What's the dating service kind of the love <laughs> connection? I can see something like that generating some revenue. Oh boy, it's never ending, sir. It's it's never ending. We'll we will get this for as long as we're on the radio. Callers calling in about having their hearts fallen for an individual that well, it will con- it will exist as long as I, I think we are the at least I know in San Mateo County we're the last co-ed, co-ed program, so um, we always get that we always deal with that. I don't but, mind it, but uh, in other counties, like I said, I don't know about the rest of the country, et cetera, but I know that there's still co-ed programs out there. I still believe in co-ed programs. I think there's a benefit if they utilize pro- if the residents, right. the clients utilize them properly. But I think I think the benefits outweigh the negatives because the negatives are all projected. Yeah, they're all possibilities. Mm-hmm. You are going to reap at least some of the benefits of a co-ed program just by default of being in one. Yeah. And being in a group and listening to someone of the opposite sex tell their story, mm-hmm. you're going to benefit from that in some way. So while there are guaranteed benefits and maybe you won't realize all of them and in a situation where you begin to abuse it, then of course the negatives are going to come up, but the negatives are not guaranteed. Yeah. The possibility is there. You're going to benefit regardless. And so I'm on board with the co-ed programs well, for sure. I always think about when you, you sit people in a, in a room, in a group and someone starts sharing something that no one knows anything about, okay? Mm-hmm. So I'll use this example. It's an extreme example, but a real example. Mm-hmm. So let's say a woman starts sharing about being physically abused in a relationship, okay? Okay. And sitting in the room is a guy who has done that same thing. Right. Okay? Right. So now he's hearing it from someone, not not the person who he has the emotion, quote-unquote emotional connection with, but someone unconnected, unconnected to him talking about how that how that made them feel, what it, what their experience was like, et cetera, et cetera. And they're now having to sit there. And then the question becomes, the big question is, does that person then speak up and say, hey, I was a person who actually did that. Right. And this is how... I feel about myself or what I felt like while I was doing it, after I did that, et cetera, et cetera. See, then you get some wonderful Ooh, yeah, conversation group dynamic. and group dynamic going. Mm-hmm. That's what you hope for. That's like... Yeah, you just hit the jackpot yeah, if you're running exa- that group. Exactly. Work you know, work got done. That's that's dream, you know? So um, that's... But that can only take place in, in if you have co-ed. Of course. Right. So... Uh, how are we on time, sir? You're good. You got about ten minutes. All right, let's go to uh, James from Sacramento. James, welcome to the program. 
Thank you, sir. <clears throat> um, I think this is a great great show tonight and a great Thank topic. Um, I do believe in, in uh, co-ed programs. Um, I think they really help people get uh, readjusted to learning how to uh, communicate with the opposite sex in a in a responsible manner. I you know I don't believe in in relationships in recovery. Um, however, what about um, relationships once you're out? Do you think that it's it's good to wait, you know, a, a certain amount of time before you get into a relationship once you're once you're out of out of the program and you know ready to start your life over again? You think you should give it some time before you you jump into a relationship? And if so, how long? I mean, I'm gonna put a disclaimer. A year. Okay, I'm gonna put a disclaimer on my on my answer. Okay. Okay. My disclaimer is that it's my own personal opinion. I am not a fan of anything having to do with time. Meaning, like, where some say. You know, if you're in a treatment program, wait one year afterwards before you think about getting into a relationship and things of that nature. All of, And it's not because I disagree, because all of that is sound in terms of thinking, that you want to keep the focus on you, focus on your recovery, get yourself right, get yourself going in the right direction, have no distractions, so on and so forth. But the reason why I don't lock into that is because how do you know, when, and we're talking outside now, not in, in treatment, outside, how do you know when love is going to come your way and find you? No one can predict that. Right. So I always use the example of walking. There, here I go, sir, uh, Mr. King. You, you could be walking in the supermarket. And you run into the love of your life. Typically the produce aisle. Okay. <laughs> Yeah. So nobody knows, no one can predict. But what I will say is, depending on where a person is at when they're finished with their, let's say, they're, if they've gone through residential treatment, they're finished with that, they're now outside and aftercare and all that stuff. What I will say is that depending on where you are and how much time you have under your belt, you should dictate how fast you, or how many toes you dip in you know what I mean? So yeah. you might find someone who might be, you might think is the one. So, you know, you put one toe in and you take it slow and so that you don't just take all the focus off of you and it goes on to the other person. Right. You stay grounded a little bit and you just take it slow. So who's to say? Nobody nobody knows when love is going to strike someone, when they're going to run into the love. No one knows this. So it's hard to, in my opinion, it's hard to have these hard and fast lines and answers about that. That's just me. Yeah. No, that makes sense. Yeah. I didn't know I was going to meet my wife while I was a busboy in the TWA terminal at Kennedy Airport putting condiments in the condiment stand. And she, <laughs> I know. It always, and ha- she, it always happens when and, you least expect and, it, when you're not looking and, for and it. She, and she's a passenger on, uh, on a layover waiting for her flight back to London. I didn't know that's when I was going to meet my wife. Who knows? Yeah. All right. Well, thank you, guys. All right. You're very welcome. All right. Absolutely. Keep up the good work. All right. Thank you. Right. 
and just a support, just one little tidbit of tease to that story on how I met my wife, and I'll leave it at that for maybe another day, is that we didn't even speak to each other. Really? No. We did Someone not, left a phone number on a napkin. We did not talk to each other. Okay. You're just going to leave us at that? Yeah, tease. No, okay. Leave it at that. So... It'll slowly unfold over the next couple of shows then. You'll have to drop a, a further nugget along in the story okay, until can, we get there. I can do that. I can do that. Well, we have something to look forward to. We did write for six years. Okay. You wrote? Yep. <laughs> That's awesome. You don't hear about that. Well, maybe writing is today's version of texting. Just the letter arrives instantly instead of... After a couple of days and no well, stamps necessary. Well, yeah, and this was international, so right. you, you were waiting three weeks, three weeks for a return letter. Yeah. Uh, how are we doing on time, sir? I know I keep asking because you, you, like, you, you, have... like, you like to cut me off. <laughs> you got probably one more phone call, so it's going to be unscreened, and you're going to have to eeny, meeny, miny, mo it. Oh, goodness. All right, let's go. Um... Hi, welcome to the show. Can we have your first name and your hometown, please? Yeah, my name is Stephen Borch. And, um, is that your hometown. first name? My first name is Stephen. First name only. And your hometown, please? Um, San Mateo, California. Okay, welcome. How can we help you? Um, I was just wondering if you guys feel it is um, good for people who are opiate dependent to switch to uh, methadone. Or another, or Suboxone, some other sort of um, uh, drug like that that is prescribed medically to help people from withdrawal symptoms and reduce cravings. I was wondering what, what, uh, how you feel about that. I am all for what it's. Just so you know what the term is, it the acronym is MAT, M-A-T, and it's medication-assisted treatment, and. Yes, if someone needs that to help them along in the recovery process, absolutely, why not? There's a lot of stuff coming on the market now to help reduce cravings from cocaine, from alcohol, from, I mean, you name it. Um, right. The only thing I haven't heard so far, Mr. Producer, is methamphetamine. That might be 15 years away for all we know. But, yeah. yes, um, that's a that's a conversation you should have with yourself and others you trust. That's something you should think about with yourself and others you trust. Um, but to me, if it's something that's going to help the recovery process, stop the negative lifestyle and the, the negative repercussions from using, um, absolutely. Because um, I've, I've heard, I've heard um, positives for it, and I've also heard um, some negatives about it were in the, fact, in the sense that um, – they just become dependent on another substance, so it's just basically like a substitute. But then, on the contrary, I've heard of other people who have d done very successful from it. Um, so and I just the quest the question for you then, Stephen, is, and you don't have to tell us now, but something you think about after after this call is, what's the reason why you're thinking about it? What's your intentions for how you want it to help you, and are you going to stick to it? Because, yes, okay. it can become a negative and something that someone misuses, 
or it can become or it can be utilized properly where it becomes a benefit and an asset and helps someone along the way in their recovery process. Depends on right. the person and what their intent right. is. Gotcha. Okay? All right. Well, thank you very much. All right, sir. Thank you. All right. Thank you. Bye-bye. Have a nice night. All right. You too. So those are difficult choices. How much time, sir, so you don't cut me off in the middle of what I'm about to say? Uh, you got enough time to say what okay. you got to say. So it's it's always difficult when someone is considering whether or not to um, go the medication-assisted treatment route. Right. Because for some, it is a substitution. Um, but, you know, my thought is if you're out there using heroin or something else, some other opiate-based whatever, and the consequences of that are negative, and to get out of that lifestyle, you can get something that's prescribed and then have a plan to be weaned off of it right? to reduce the impact of the withdrawals, which is what some of these drugs that are coming along are to deal with the withdrawal symptoms. Right. Because that's the main boogeyman. Of course. For people is that of right course. there. Um, so I call that paying the piper. But we're in 2015. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Um, no, it is a touchy touchy subject, but it, it is what it is. Just like touchy, you said. I'm saying, you know. If you bring it up with your, your doctor and yeah. your therapist, and it goes back to th- something I think I remember saying on the show a couple of weeks back. If if you're genuine about wanting to get clean and sober and you need this to help you physically with what is to come mm-hmm. until you're done with it and then can move forward with your life, you do it, man. Mm-hmm. I mean, it is what it is. Yep. And that's it. And so good. You got in what you had to say and I didn't have to cut you off. And I want to let all the listeners know, unfortunately, next week we now, will... Now, you see, you're, you're, you're starting it off with a negative way rather than oh, a good thing that's happening. Go. Even though, go ahead. Go well, ahead. it has good and bad. Okay. Unfortunately for you listeners, we will not be live next week. Um, we It's for a good reason. We will be upgrading the studio, uh, which is always good. And then there's an added benefit. You can check out the archives that we have if you've missed any show <laughs> sell it, that, sell that, it. that you want to catch up on. So next Tuesday, no live show. Again, feel free to take a look at the library and pull up any shows you may have missed. And uh, what, think, you yeah, got something, you, you man? Didn't, I didn't think you didn't, go, you didn't go into enough detail. Oh, they, here we go. They're they're replacing our doors, our oh, windows, windows, our outside paneling, the whole nine yards. And they're going to start on Friday, but they won't be done probably till Wednesday. So there you have and, it. And we can't do a show with no windows. Can't okay, we? Can't we just have outside air blowing in? <laughs> That's right. So uh, yeah. and again, we'd like to thank everybody who called in today and participated, or called in to listen. Folks who are continuing to show us support. We really, really appreciate it, and we hope you guys are enjoying the shows that are coming in our second year here. Uh, We wish everybody a safe rest of the week and the following week and a safe couple of weekends, and we will catch you guys the Tuesday after next. Everybody take care and have a happy Thanksgiving.
Stop far away from here. 
That's our show for this evening. Thank you for listening. Be sure to listen to our next broadcast Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Standard Time on blogtalkradio.com forward slash OCG Radio. Like us, friend us, and follow us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash OCGWorkCA and on Twitter at OCGWorkCA. You can listen to podcasts of all our shows on iTunes under Roach on Recovery or on our Blog Talk Radio homepage. This has been a presentation of OCG Recovery Radio. Until then, baby, are you gonna let a pussy down and make you cry? Don't you know,